Here we go. February. Let's talk about God. We're back. Let's talk about God podcast. It's like I've been here in a hundred years, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about God today. Well, that's a good thing because that's why we're here. That's the, talk about God. the whole purpose is to talk about the Lord. A friendly reminder, it is February and Valentine's Day is this month, right? Yes. So I don't know when that day does, but it, probably pull out your phone right now and just figure it out. It's usually the 14th. <laughs> I can't remember. I think. I think it's Someday. February the 14th, So, um, uh, which is actually on uh, a Friday, Ooh. a Friday of this month. So that means every restaurant will be slammed. So go the day before, the day after. There you go. You don't want to wait for an hour and a half. Or you could do like your mom and I did for years. Just go to the Waffle House. Same thing. Don't they dress it up now? They put a little candle on the table, I think, or yeah. something. And yeah. They got some hearts strung hearts. up. It's really yeah. romantic. It's very romantic. You could split a waffle. There you go. Yeah. But just wanted to help you all out. Chocolate chip waffle. If it's going to be yeah. Valentine's Day, do Might it right. Well go out. <laughs> well, I hope you're enjoying your month of February. How's things going? Uh, it's going good. Um, ready to get winter out of the way and spring to get here. Out of the way? Winter's not even here. I mean, it's February. Well, that's true. And uh, but you know, we, I'm at, yeah. Well, I guess it does. It, I don't know. Yeah, and 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 we live in the deep south. That's why you don't. It doesn't feel like it. But uh, as you know, I like to fish, and so this is the time of year that. In the deep south, we start having warm days, and the water starts warming up, and the fish will start moving out of the deep water into the shallow, and ah, then it gets right. It's nice. It gets nice. I yep. just like, I kind of like how cold it is. I'm just enjoying it. Really? we get the cold without all the like snow and terrible stuff. We just get to enjoy the cold. You don't have to bundle up. You just throw a hoodie on. That's true. Again, living in the deep south, if it snows here, it's like, an inch or two, and then by the next day, it's gone. Yeah, but everything shuts down, so you get to just and whatever. You have, and you have to go buy milk and bread. Yeah, for whatever reason. Well, to, to eat cereal and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So you should be buying canned stuff. In case the power goes out. Meat. Yeah, but then your milk's done. Your no, milk's you put closed. it outside. It's so cold outside. Oh, if it's cold enough true. to knock the power out, it's cold enough to keep the milk fresh, see? That is true. I teach you all these little tricks of the trade for we people in the South. Yeah, that is very true. I know if we have any listeners up North, they're laughing their heads off right now. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. But we're not kidding. No, uh, if, it, if there's a threat of snow, literally thousands of people make a run on the grocery stores. And if you would, if you get there too late, the bread shells are empty and all the milk is gone. It's a thing. Really is a thing. Yeah, and usually our snow comes from Atlanta. Yeah. So we have a little saying down south and, and where we live is it's snowing in Atlanta and it's coming this way. Mm-hmm. And it comes right up I-85. Weird how it follows the interstate. It does. It comes up the interstate. It's kind of creepy. Well, it is, but it's, that's the way it works. If it's snowing in Atlanta, we will get snow. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm trying to think of a pun to connect. Well, I think we would just say that we need to serve, I need to serve you notice that we're going to now change the topic and talk about serving your community. There we go. How's that? That was perfect. Okay. Today we're talking about serving, serving your community, being a servant. What is biblical servitude and servanthood look like? Yeah. All of the different serve words. Um, so as always, this shouldn't take 30 seconds. This should take four seconds. 
What is a what is a what is the biblical definition of a servant? Well, you had to throw biblical in there and then complicate it. Well, I what mean, is the definition? I of mean, a when servant? you serve is just when I think when you meet the needs of other people. I yeah, mean, that's what a servant does. It meets the needs of another person. And I think if you do it from a biblical perspective or as a follower of Jesus Christ, you you do it representing him. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that's it's done with the right motive. It's done with the right reason. It's done out of a heart of love. It's done within the image of Christ in you. There's a divine element to your service, yeah. whether you mean it to be there or not, such that, and we'll talk about this later, that whatever you're doing for somebody it makes them aware of Jesus. I uh, yeah, I would I was just going to say essentially like meeting the needs of other people without getting anything in return. Exactly. It's just all give and no get. Exactly. You know? That's good. Um, I like that. So, servanthood, meeting the needs of other people, but obviously this is grounded uniquely in the Bible in Christ, modeled by Jesus. And so here's what we want to do today. We want to give you kind of a biblical picture of servanthood, of servitude, of Jesus's call for us to serve um, one another, to serve our communities, to serve our families. We want to lay that out. And then we want to end the show just giving you some some tips and some ideas on how you can serve, the impact that your serving will have, and kind of um, just just challenge you to get involved and and to begin serving your community. But let's go ahead and start. Let's start, you know, as we usually do in the Old Testament and, and get a picture of serving. So there's, you know, two ways that you can kind of serve. One way is is through worship. In a sense, we get a picture of almost serving the Lord in worship and that you're kind of giving all to him. Your focus is to him, to worship him, to give uh, proper praise and adoration to him. So even if we look at the priests in the temple, they're kind of seen as serving God. And not only that, the leaders, the leaders over Israel, though they are leaders, though they are influential, though they are powerful, oftentimes they are called servants. I think Moses was called a servant like 50 times and David was called a servant something like 30 or 40 times. Um, so you're looking at these men who are leading Israel, who are um, kind of in the forefront, and yet the Bible is describing them as a servant. Um, national leaders national, who yeah. were seen as not autocrats or t- uh, tyrants or dictators, but rather servants. Exactly. And that's the biblical concept of leadership, by the way, is that leadership is their servant leadership. And it's meeting the needs of other people. It's exactly. adding value to other people. Um, it's not it's not personally trying to get them to do what you want them to do for your sake, but actually leading them towards a, a shared goal or objective that ultimately will benefit them. Exactly. And you're trying to help them so that they become better workers or better people or, or better listeners, better communicators. There's so many different ways you can add value to people. Exactly. So I think that's a very biblically a very biblically based concept and it is evidenced in 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 the leaders within the Bible. Yeah. I think I would add to this is that there was an entire tribe of Israel who was solely dedicated by God for service and that was the tribe of Levi. Yeah. The priests 
dedicated to be the priests. Right. So the priests came out of the tribe of Levi. Mm -hmm. So there were the 12 children of Israel, right? You had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so Israel had 12 kids, Mm -hmm. and those 12 kids had kids and families, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. So when Moses led the children of Israel into the promised land, God specifically determined that the tribe of Levi would not get a portion of land, but that their job was to serve in the temple. Yeah. So uh, they were maybe like the the precursor to a deacon there, I guess. Their job was to take care of the facilities and and clean up and make sure that there was it was supplied and and whatever the priest mm-hmm. needed, that was their job to take care of them. And you gotta think they didn't just serve at a temple. They served an entire nation. Yeah. Because people would come to worship, as you said, and offer their their sacrifices to God. And it took all of these you know, the priests were trying to conduct the worship, much like a preacher does today. Yeah. But you have to have all the like here at High Praises, you know, I preach every Sunday, but to conduct the services that we do, we do two services every Sunday morning. It takes tons of personnel. I mean, yeah. literally hundreds yeah. to make it happen. And that's so you think who'd ever thought an entire tribe lived? Yeah. Their their purpose was to serve others. And it's interesting how they they are at the same time serving the Lord and serving the people. That in serving the Lord, they're serving the people. They're dedicated in service to God to offer worship him, worship to him. They are consecrated by God, and yet his mission, his purpose for them is actually to serve the people, to facilitate worship, to facilitate sacrifice to facilitate everything they need. So as you serve the Lord, you serve other people. Those aren't mutually exclusive in any way. And it flips. And as you serve people, ultimately you serve the Lord. Yeah. Um, there is a passage in the New Testament um, that's used often. I think I think the context is misunderstood because I really believe it it's a it's it's a passage that fits in eschatology or the or the last days things, end mm-hmm. times things. And so Jesus talks about, um, I was sick and you visited me. I did this and I was in prison prison and you visited me. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat naked and you clothed me. And really, I think that fits into the the tribulation period, actually. I think he was speaking to to those who come out of the tribulation who are saved. There's actually going to be people that come out of the tribulation are saved. And they're going to be those people who took care of and helped his people that were in need. But at the end of that passage, he said, they said, Lord, when did we see you in all these things and do this to you? He said, when you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So there's that concept of when you're helping and serving somebody else, Jesus sees that as if you're taking care of him. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, And I think as we look at the Old Testament too, specifically as we look to the Mosaic law, there's a call to service in the sense of, Taking care, kind of like we talked about earlier, taking care of other people, acts of love, acts of kindness, taking care of other people with no benefit to yourself. So you're called to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, You're called to take care of the alien, the ambergrant, remembering, um, and and the Lord told him this, remember, you were once an alien in Israel. You were once an immigrant in Israel. You know, take care of them Um, when they're passing through, as they're traveling through. Don't don't be rude to them as they're living there. Don't be rude to them. they're called to take care of the poor. So you've got like the year of Jubilee. It freed every person who was a bondservant, every person who had debt. Um, the Lord told them, hey, if they, if they are you know 
serving you and working for you eventually, you're just going to set them free and let them go. Have they got a bunch of debt against them? Set them free and let them go. Oftentimes when you read the law, it's, um, you know, if a poor man lends you his his coat, um, you know, basically in exchange for money or something, but if that's all he has, he says, go back and give him his coat so he doesn't have to sleep cold at night. Show compassion on people. Like repeatedly over and over and over again, God's calling us to love people, care for people, serve people, and be there for them, beginning the Old Testament. That's which I think it. is cool. Um, but as we move into the New Testament, uh, we get to see a model of what it means to be a servant from Jesus himself. Jesus is the ultimate servant. What he came to do was to serve. Um, even the Apostle Paul says that Jesus took the form of a servant. He came down as a servant. What does that mean when Paul's saying that he he took the form of a servant? In what ways did Jesus take the form of a servant and actually come serve in a big picture kind of way? Well, I think he said that against the backdrop as Jesus is the divine son of God. Yeah. So you you see God's doing for man rather than the other way around. I mean, we don't we can't assist God or serve mm-hmm. God, help him in any way that helps him. But but God humbled himself and became a man and came particularly to to meet our needs. So Jesus met physical needs. Um he he fed the 5000 and um he healed people's bodies. He he met their um, spiritual needs by casting out a devil, you know, if they're demon possessed, yeah. by speaking the truth to them and exposing the lies of Satan. Um, you just read the Gospels, and Jesus was constantly meeting needs. Obviously, the greatest need that he he met was our spiritual need in sin, and so that's why he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, whatever service he did culminated, climaxed in the death on the cross, which was the greatest act of servitude that God ever did for us, was dying in our place. I'm going to meet that need that you cannot meet, nobody can meet, and I'll provide redemption and a way for you to be saved. Yeah, I think that's ultimately, and we're going to go through a few more New Testament examples, but I think you're right. That gets at the height of it. That if you want to ask myself, how do I, how do I be a servant, or what does servitude look like? I mean, God Himself uh, decided to add humanity to His divinity. He He decided to add, you know, being able to die, having to be tired. He added human limitations by taking on that nature when He didn't have to, and then ultimately died on a cross, really getting nothing out of it. Um, for himself, because he doesn't need anything, but all for us. I mean, that is the ultimate act of servitude. It doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. So you just ask yourself, am I looking like Jesus? And I think even in in, in the other things that he did, um, he modeled that servitude for us. Like you said, he said that um, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Before his crucifixion, Jesus actually got down and washed his disciples' feet. This is one of the most humble things that you could do, because in that day, Feet were disgusting and stinky, and had camel poop all over them, and dirt and everything dust. else. And, <clears throat> and that was the one of the most menial jobs. Yeah, I mean, it was a job of a slave. Yeah, yeah, it was a servant's job, a slave. And so you're right. Other than dying on the cross, uh, that was probably the greatest act that he did uh, 
to the disciples. Yeah. You know, he he did that to the 12 disciples mm-hmm. particularly. And that's uh, why the apostle Peter was so like, no, 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 you don't don't do this to me. I'll do this to you. Cuz it yeah. was so culturally backwards for Jesus. Oh yeah, cuz be he's the lord, this. he's the master, he's the rabbi, yeah. you know, he's in charge and you that you just didn't do that. Yeah. But that was the whole point is Jesus was trying to teach them that the greatest among you will serve others. The great ones are not the ones who are served. Mm-hmm. That's the world's concept. You know, I have to have a corner office, and I have to have a prime parking spot, and yeah. I have to have uh, a membership at the at the gym mm-hmm. provided by my company. That we look for all the perks because I'm the greatest. And Jesus said, "In the kingdom of God, if you're the greatest, it's the other way around. You're trying to help people, bless people, yeah. minister to people." And yeah. Jesus exemplified that, and He modeled that for us when he washed the disciples' feet, yeah. uh, which was really powerful. And, and it, by the way, it says that he showed them the full extent of his love. And if you want to show someone the full extent of your love, serve them. Wow. I mean, serve them. Even if really it costs you. Them. Yeah, even if it costs you, if you have to lay aside your position, your title, your, self of, your sense of self-importance, lay all that aside mm-hmm. and just serve somebody, meet their need. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that's really good. And I think what Jesus did through his life, through his interaction with his, you know, apostles and and disciples that he really did lay down a foundation of love. And then as you read the rest of the New Testament, there is a clear picture of for the call of Christians to continue to be servants. And so as we look at Paul Paul actually repeatedly calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. As you look at a lot of his letters, he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The Greek word here is doulos. Um, it's, it's frequently used in Greek to designate like essentially a master's slave. So it points to absolute dependence in which the master has full authority and the slave has full commitment. The slave does nothing of his own will. And uh, as we look at being in service First, primarily to the Lord, the way Paul pictures himself as a Christian is that Jesus is the master. Jesus is the Lord. He has authority, power, what he says goes, and I am just here to facilitate whatever he wants. And so before we go out and serve other people and before we go out and meet the needs of other people, we need to settle ourselves in that that doulos servant role that no matter what, we're here to meet the 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 commands of Jesus, and we're going to follow him no matter what. I feel like that positions us spiritually, positions our heart and our mindset to go out and to actually act on being a servant when we realize who we are in comparison to Jesus, just like Paul did. So would you say that being a servant is part of the spiritual DNA of the new birth? Absolutely it is. I think through the Holy Spirit, um, we we become a servant. We become a bond servant, a slave, if you will, if you want to use that kind of old term. But we become bound to say yes to Jesus in all things. Isn't it weird how he's God's our friend? Uh, he's our father. He's our king, and he's our master. All at the same time. All at the same time. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, in your walk with God, there there are dynamics there that you have to look at. If you just look at one dimensional, you really don't see 
all of it. Mm-hmm. But but back to him being as the master is the Lord. Mm-hmm. You, you do what he tells you to do. And I, but yeah, I wondered. That's why I asked you that. It's if it's in our DNA, so to speak. Obviously, it's not DNA. Yeah. Your spirit man, but just using it as a metaphor, figure speech. Um, that it ought to come naturally. Yeah. Or supernaturally, maybe, yeah. <laughs> to those of us who have been born again, you would think, to well, serve others. And that's even what Paul says, that we've moved from slaves to sin to slaves of righteousness, that we are now kind of bound to righteousness in that way. Exactly. Um, he even uses uh, sacrificial language. You know, we're called to offer our lives as living sacrifices. You hear this quoted a lot. And even though he's not necessarily using the term, you know, serve there as sacrifices, making a sacrifice. You know, it's giving something up. And I think that still sends the same message that in our lives and the way that we live, we may not be offering the choicest animal or grain or drink offering or whatever in the Old Testament that you would see to God, but we're offering up every part of our lives, even the most important and, you know, you know, sacred to us parts of our lives to God for his service as a sacrifice. And I would say the second way that we see um, serving in the New Testament is another Greek word that you're probably going to be familiar with. It's diakonos, where we get our word deacon. So if you've been in a church, here I praises, we have them. We have deacons. That's where we get that word. It's a Greek word, and it's a biblical word. And as we look at the Bible, um, deacons are seen as having all kinds of different roles and uh, things that they can do. But I want to ask you this before we get into that. Is there a difference between the maybe the office or the appointed role of a deacon and then just living your life as a Greek word, diakonos, servant? Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and diakonos or diakonos is, um, literally means, in a little translation, is table waiter. Yeah. So like if you go to a fast food, I mean a slow food restaurant, and you go to Longhorns or Outback or wherever, Red Lobster, wherever you go, uh, Chili's, and, and a server comes, that's a deacon. Yeah. But it's, I mean, not obviously a yeah, church yeah. deacon, yeah. but it's the same concept. So this office that you're talking about, which is an office, mm-hmm. it was a position in the early church. Yeah. In the early church, you had three components of, of the typical local church. You had the saints, and I'm using direct, quotes from Paul, mm-hmm. you had the saints, you had the elders, and you had the deacons. And so the deacons were the ones who served the church and served the body of Christ within that local fellowship um, and met directly met the needs with the goal of taking that load off of the elders who were the pastors. Yeah. So you had pastor elders whose job was to preach the word uh, as well as shepherd the flock. And so to keep them from having to oversee the spiritual state of the of the people and meet the physical needs, they were established to take care of the physical needs and handle the benevolence mm-hmm. aspects of the church so that the uh, pastor elders, the preaching elders, could then focus on the Word and studying the Word. And that's why the apostles said in the first uh, they're not called deacons, by the way, in the book of Acts, but yeah. we call them deacons because they they all but function as, function as a deacon. Yeah. Uh, they said it's not good for us to to wait tables. Mm-hmm. We, we're supposed to serve the, the bread of life. We're supposed to serve the, the Bible and preaching and teaching and praying and ministering to the spiritual needs. And so that was kind of how the early church um, 
uh, establish that role, and it is a role, yeah. and it is a role. So it's particularly within the context of a local church versus what you're saying is how is it different versus just your daily life where you you're out being serving other people, meeting yeah. needs, and serving your community. And so I would say, like you know, a couple things off of that. I would say one. Um, Though though the early church and you know the pastor elder said it's not good for us to wait tables, they didn't say it's not good for anyone to take care of other people. What they're saying no. is this is so important to us, we're going to do a bad job, essentially. We're going to overwhelm ourselves trying to take care of the poor and the needy and the widows and preach the gospel. Let's spread this thing out and make sure everything gets taken care of. So, you know, taking care of widows or helping people or serving the poor, you're not just being helpy helperton out there doing menial tasks. Like, your your role is expressing the love of Christ and 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 is meaningful and purposeful, and it's not lowered in any way. We just got to make room for both. Let the teachers teach. Let the servants serve. Let's do it all, baby. You know. Well, let me <laughs> let me talk about that because we might have a listener um, that might needs to hear this. There are there. It's not as bad as it used to be, but especially and if you're in smaller churches, and most churches are smaller. Mm-hmm. Average size church in America is like fifty to seventy five. I think yeah. that's still true. Um, if you're listening right now. Some people get a concept is, well, the pastor, we pay him, so he's supposed to do everything. Yeah. And you'd be amazed, Evan. There are pastors who they have to mow the grass at the church. They have to take care of the the shrubbery and the landscaping. Wow. They have to they have to clean the bathrooms each week before Sunday services. They have to vacuum the carpet. They do everything. Wow. Okay. And and then and sometimes there are people in those churches who say, Well, that's what we pay you to do. Mm. Well, what you, first of all, you don't pay your pastor to do all that. You support your pastor through your tithes and offerings. Through your, you support him so that he can fulfill the calling of God on his life. So we have to change our mindset is you're not paying him. He's not an employee. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's, the, he's the man of God with a calling, and that calling is within the context of your local church. So your, your money— is given so that he doesn't have to work a job and so that he doesn't have to do other things so that he can focus on studying and praying, taking care of the flock, protecting the flock, ministering the flock's needs, and then bringing you the word of God and and then equipping you for ministry. The, t- the two roles of a pastor as well as the other full, fourfold ministry, the mm-hmm. fivefold ministry, is to equip and edify the saints. Yeah. Okay? So you say, well, then what has it? What does that do have to do with me? Well, then the church should rise up and say, Pastor, you're not going to cut the grass. We'll cut the grass. Okay, you're not going to do the shrubs. I'll do the shrubs. Somebody else should say, you're not going to clean the carpet. I'll clean the carpet. You, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll clean the bathrooms before Sunday. That's not your job. Yeah. Okay, your job is to do the, fulfill the calling of God in your life. Mm-hmm. So if you have a mindset right now, or people in your church do, that we pay our pastor to do all that, you you're hurting your church, not helping your church. You're hurting you, yeah. As a sheep in that church, you're not helping yourself. And so, I would encourage you to go back and start talking to people and say, "Listen, we need to we need to set up some servant ministries here where we take care of those things and say to our pastor, you just focus on the things that are spiritual and help take care of us. And watch and see if God doesn't bless your church and your church doesn't grow and you see your church be healthier. Yeah, 
because that's the way the church is supposed to function. And if you, by the way, you say, well, I don't know if I like that. Well, when the apostles came to the early church and proposed this idea, the Bible says that the early church, that it pleased them. Yeah. They were like, yes, this is what we need to do. And the Holy Spirit guided them. And they selected men. They said, we need seven men, or maybe that was number whatever. Choose seven men full full of the Holy Holy Ghost and faith. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're choosing spiritual, godly leaders Yeah, we do these things. Yeah, recently uh, we installed uh, three new deacons in our church. Mm -hmm. Two of our guys, their term had ended, and we we decided to replace them with three others. And um, we brought them before the church and recognized them and laid hands on them, installed them, ordained them. Mm-hmm. I, I believe God anointed those men, uh, but they had to meet that criteria. They had to be men of faith. They had to be full of the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they go into this. I mean, we have like a $1.4 million budget at our church. Yeah. I mean, we've got 28 acres of land and, and f- facilities, and there's a lot of overhead. If I had to take care of that, or if you and I and the other had pastors here had to take it. it we we it would really it would be hindrance. But when when we have situations, I can say to these guys, guys, and, and they're businessmen, mm-hmm. and they're guys. Each of them have areas of specialty. So where me, it would be sort of laborious because it's not. I'm not familiar. I've got guys that are like, I do this every day. Let me do this. Yeah. I can do this, and they actually have a joy of doing it. Yeah, and they feel like I'm able to help my church, help my pastor. Help contribute. It's such a fulfill, fulfilling feeling for them. Yeah. So anytime we're robbing our people of freeing up the pastor mm-hmm. to do ministry, they're being robbed of a, not just of holding back him and the church, but of a blessing. There's yeah. such a fulfillment in that that says, do you ever stop to think that um, there are things that you hate to do that other people love? It's kind of crazy. It is. Like there's certain, like not everybody loves changing babies' dirty diapers. But there are people who just love to work in the nursery. Yeah. Okay? There are people who love kids. They love kids. doesn't matter what age those people are. They can be 70 years old. They love children. And then there's some people who just can't stand being around children. Well, you don't want them in children's ministry. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but my point is we can all serve because there is a love and a passion in us. We just got to find out what that is. Yeah. And I always say find your niche and fill it and then find a need and fill it. Yep. Yeah, you know? that's kind of that kind of goes back to that principle. I don't know what that um, that Andy Stanley leadership book is, but he's like, rather than trying to be good at everything, take what you're good at and just keep getting better. Yeah, and then find everybody else what they're good at and help them serve in that and keep getting better. Well, that's what pastors should do if they're yeah. listening. Is you got to teach your people these things and show them, and then equip them, mm-hmm. train them, release them. And you'll help them fulfill their ministry as servants. Yeah. And we're just talking about the church. We're not even talking about the community yet. Yeah, which we're still going to get to. But let's take a look, like, kind of like you said. So there were people in the church, they're designated to serve. And what ways did they serve? Well, in Acts 6, they distributed food to the widows. They wanted to take care of the people who didn't have anyone else to take care of them. We see in Matthew 8, 15 and John 12, 2, this is not maybe the the office of deacon, but the word is used here of people who serve food and give hospitality, who are taking care of Jesus or his disciples. Um, we're told for people to do the work of a deacon by the Apostle Paul. So there it is, that specific servitude role. 
Um, in First Peter, we see deacons who exercise a spiritual gift in serving and being there and uh, taking care of other people. We know they serve the saints. Paul even seems to consider the collection of money as a service to God and a service to other people. He's taking money for the church in Jerusalem, and he considers it a service to help other people. And so that role of a deacon, whether you're an appointed leader as a deacon in the church, or whether you just say, I want to live a life of serving. This is what you do. You serve, you lower yourself, you take care of other people. And that's where I would say all people are called to serve others. It's not just for an appointed person. Um, Paul was an apostle and yet he served. And you might say, well, he was a leader in the church. He was like, the, you can't get higher than the apostle. Paul, even at, on certain occasions, said, you know, I can threaten my apostolic authority to certain churches. What did, he, what did he do? He lowered himself completely. He didn't think of himself as somebody. He would show up to Corinth, and instead of taking offerings and money from them, he would actually work on the side so he didn't have to be a burden to yeah, them. He was a tent maker. Yeah, he was a tent maker. Yeah. Like, he he lowered himself, and though he had this authority and this position, and he's getting caught up in the third heavens, and my man's talking to Jesus face-to-face and doing all this stuff, he went through crazy stuff for the people of God because he didn't think of himself too high and was ready to just take care of others. And by the way, you were talking about deacons. We've kind of noticed a pattern through the years. Um, There's sort of an unwritten rule, so we don't make it a rule, but the men who have served as deacons through the years, they're servants in the church. Yeah, they are. Uh, and we don't elect our deacons. Some Most churches do elections. We don't do elections. I don't find elections in the Bible, so there's a process we go through that mm-hmm. involves a lot of people, particularly the existing deacons, uh, that we appoint. We, we go through a vetting process. We ask, and you're, you become a candidate, and then we go through a process. And um, Anyway, but they serve. So they're already doing something when they become. So that's one of the credentials is that they have a servant's heart. We don't just put some yeah. guy on that now. Hey, I'm a, I've yeah. got a title and a position. No, that's that's kind of level one, and we're not level one here. And we're, it's not always true, but a lot of times their whole family is serving. Oh yeah, exactly. Because there's that servant's heart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you're you're getting back here that same thing is, um, it's 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 that desire to. Because Paul, he, he, I, Paul almost prided himself in that. He said, "Is is that I'm gonna, I'm not gonna take your money." Yeah, I could. Be, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not gonna do it because I wanna, I wanna be able to serve you mm-hmm. where it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, you know, so I don't exactly. have to take up offerings from you for my own um, financial needs, yeah. ministry needs. I yeah, guess. exactly. And you know, through the rest of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the New Testament, James says, "Hey, if you see a brother in need." And all you do is pray for him, but you don't actually take action. That's that's faith without works and is dead. We've been called to act on what we say. Uh, John and First John tells us not just to love and word and thought, but in action as well, or it's not really love at all. In Acts, the early church, they were taking care of each other, selling stuff just to help, help each other out. Um, the early church loved each other, took care of other people, acted on what they did. It was by service. But I think one of the coolest things that we can see is that as we look back at church history after the Bible, uh, you know, has, has, is after the biblical stories have taken place, um, what we see is the church actually continues on this 
this belief in serving your community and taking care of other people. So the church started uh, in a Roman empire and largely in a Roman context. And, and so it was a very pagan and evil society. Um, in Roman culture, they would have a kid, and specifically if it was a girl they, and they didn't want her because it was better to have a boy in their, th- <clears throat> excuse me, in their thought or society, they would actually have a designated spot in their city and they'd go drop that baby off to die. And what Christians started doing is they would actually visit those spots and adopt the children who had been left to die and raise them up. Not their kids, don't know where they came from, don't know whose child this is, but just adopt them and say, hey, we're going to take care of them because we care about serving other people and loving them. Um, Early Christians continued that biblical mandate of taking care of widows, and they did it in an organized fashion. Um, A guy, John Chrysostom, wrote a book on the priesthood, And basically he talked about how one of the more difficult jobs of being a priest or being a pastor is taking care of the widows, but they did it. That was one of the things that they did in leading that ministry. Um, The early church collected money for poor children and families. They collected money to bury the poor dead. They took care of shut-ins. They took care of those who had suffered shipwrecks or basically a terrible, you know, tragedy. Um, They took care of those who were in the mines, who were in prison or who were exiled. I mean, it sounds like a lot of us have kind of carried on the tradition today. Like the Christians took it seriously. We are going to take care of people who are in need. And as I read this list, we kind of do a lot of the same things, which I'm proud of taking care of the poor, the widows, the orphans, the shut-ins. It's amazing to see how the churches maintain that value even today. Yeah. And they impacted a culture. I mean, they, they impacted the Roman culture. They impacted the, And that's what we're, I think where we're gravitating, gravitating to here is in this podcast is ultimately to your community. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but I I know that you and I've both read where there have been criticisms of religion and in the course of people who are antagonistic towards religion, they have been antagonistic towards Christianity. Yeah. And they'll say, well, you had the inquisition and look what you did, you know, killing people and you had the crusades and look at that. And so they'll highlight these negative moments in 2000 years of, of the Christian faith. Yeah. But it is very easy to, to when they finish, look at them and say, okay, let's look at 2000 years of activity, most hospitals yeah. were were created. Uh, a lot of people By think Christian. hospitals are businesses, but most hospitals are five hundred one c threes. They start out anyway as charitable organizations. We can name several just in our area yes. that are Christian based. They're Christian based, and so you you have um, hospitals were started by Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, orphanages are Everywhere. started by Christians. Yep, um, hunger relief organizations that feed the children around the world. If you start looking, Christians have helped to stamp out poverty. Christians were the educators. That's what I was about to say. Christianity has furthered education probably more than any other organized body of whoever. It's so ironic that it was the church of Jesus Christ that promoted education and learning. And then when education reached a point, it looked at him and said, we don't need you anymore, mm. and they remove the Bible and Christianity from the curriculum and from the, and I'm not just talking about local schools, yeah. but even your university, some of the classic ones like Yale and Harvard and Princeton, certain ones that were started seminaries. as seminaries, and it's then crazy. now they're they're very liberal and loose, and they've removed God. It, it's it, but anyway, that's that's just a side <laughs> thing. But 
Christ, <clears throat> Christianity has done more yeah. to improve the condition of humanity than it's ever done to hurt it. Absolutely. And, and those incidents. But again, Evan, I think it's because it's it's in that metaphorical DNA. It's mm-hmm. within us that we want to help people. If we see a need, there's something within us. You remember Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan and mm-hmm. and um, the priest and the Levite passed by the guy who had been robbed and beaten. Yeah. He's laying there bloody and half unconscious. Um, he was really taking shots at religion, and I think that's the difference. Religious people did the Crusades. Religious people did the Inquisition. Religious people who were not really... They were religious, yeah. but they didn't have, they weren't probably weren't saved. Well, they weren't saved, and they didn't have the spirit of Jesus in them. But along comes this guy who's a Samaritan who sees a Jew, and there's this animosity. Think of the yeah. think of the racial animosities of the 50s and 60s between blacks and whites in America. There's this racial animosity, but this guy looks past that because Jesus is trying to show this is someone who has the heart of, of God, and he goes over and tends to the guy, serves him, takes care of him, takes money out of his own pocket to meet his need. Yeah. And I think that's, Jesus told that to say, that's what's going to describe my true followers. That's going to describe the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I think it has. He, uh, he told his disciples, they're going to know you by your love for one another. Yeah. And I would argue that looking back at the world, it was, it was through the life that Christians lived that ultimately ended up conquering Rome. Not perfectly, but Rome went from like a terrible, terrible, terrible society that spent years persecuting Christians to Emperor Constantine himself. You know, we can criticize him as much as we want, but declaring Christ as his savior, calling one of the earliest councils in 300 years of constant persecution, but love, 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 service, 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 service. This religion started by, you know, 12 dudes, 12 fishermen had now conquered the most powerful empire in the world. That says something. It says yes. something about God. It says something about the way you live your life. Well, it shows again that not not the religious people, but true believers who have been born again and changed, it is the Christ in us because ultimately that's Christ conquers all. Yeah. I mean, that's there's no uh civilizations come and go, world empires come and yeah. go. Our history world history shows us that. But Jesus Christ and his people, because it's God, mm-hmm. they they press on yep. and they keep impacting this world. That's good. But, you know, we're talking about service to the community. I just kind of want us to maybe focus on that a little bit as we wrap this up. Um, I've, I've got, I think it's important you serve your community. Yeah. So I know we've talked a lot about the church, but I think it's it's negative. It is, it is harmful to be so inwardly focused as a believer in your church which a lot of churches do, that you forget about the community that you live in. Yeah, and so um, I think that it, it can be powerful, and and it, and I think it should be necessary that the local church reaches beyond its four walls and says to the community, "How can we impact you? How can we help you? How can we meet your need?" Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Sister Act. Have you ever watched that movie yeah, with, Whoopi, with Goldberg? Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg? Okay, so I just, which is a great movie, <laughs> and it's so funny. But you have this. This Catholic church in the middle of, I don't remember where, I think it may have been in L.A., but wherever they were, uh, and it's just a bad part of town, and there's graffiti on the walls and, you know, around yeah. the church, and, it's, and they're, like, they're like in this little 
They're like within the walls of the church, and they have no image. The church is dying. It's about to close. And, and then, of course, Whoopi Goldberg's character comes in, and she's there because she's in a witness protection program, so they <laughs> stick her in a Catholic church to hide her as a nun. Yeah. But I don't know if, you, if you've ever watched the movie, is that they, they said, let's— let's go out and affect, let's get out of here and let's go out there. And so they go out and they start cleaning up and then they start impacting their community. And it, and it started, people started coming back mm-hmm. to church. Of course, you know, the biggest part is that she came in there and started changing their music and the choir yeah. and they're singing. But part of that, part of that was that they went in and started affecting the community. And uh, there's something to be, to be plucked from that movie mm-hmm. is that if you reach out and affect your community and let people know that you care that's when you start making a difference and impacting the area where you live. So I have like four good reasons why it's important to serve your community. One, it shows the people in your community that you care. Yeah. Okay. Which can ultimately open the door to speak into their lives. So if we want to earn the right to tell people the gospel or to tell them the the truth of God's word— you first have to show they care. And Jesus did that all the time. Sometimes he would heal them before he would preach to them. He mm. would feed them before he would preach to them. But John Maxwell said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so it's just important to say, we we care about you. Yeah. Second reason is by meeting needs, we embody the very spirit of Jesus. And I think we've already touched on this. Um, when you're helping somebody in the community, it's the Christ in you that's doing it, not just you. So the Bible says that we are priests to God, right? Yeah. Well, a priest represents man to God. A priest stands before God and man. He's the mediator. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we do as a church and as believers. When we help people in the community, we're representing God. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so we're showing them Jesus, seeing others, I mean, serving others, brings Jesus to the forefront of their lives. Uh, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Even so, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, God gets recognized when you help somebody else. Um, The third reason is when you serve your community with other believers, so kind of like a group effort, it deepens your relationship with your brothers and sisters. So, it, there, there's a bonding that occurs. And I know we've done some church projects here through the years, and you get out there working side by side with your brothers and sisters, and you're helping a local organization, whatever, it brings you closer together. Yeah, it does. You and I have been on missions trips together um, to Honduras and Guatemala, and I've been on several of those trips. And uh, with, it's, it isn't something that's manufactured or orchestrated, it's natural, mm-hmm. but uh, I have a thing I do that every anytime I ever I'm out talking to people and I shaking hands and I get to somebody that we went on a missions trip together, I'll say, "There's my there's my missions trip traveling buddy," you know. Yeah. And there's like a bond that's there because you spend a week overseas and it's intense and it's and it's high level. Um, there, something happens. You're serving, you know, the, the whether we were at the Casa mm-hmm. Shalom orphanage in, in Guatemala, whatever, but you're serving together, and it just, there's a connection yeah. that lasts for years and years. Finally, the fourth reason is uh, I think we are truly fleshing out Jesus' command to love your neighbors yourself. And you don't do that with just saying things. I mean, I guess you could show that, but ultimately it's how do I help you? And, and help you out. That's good. Um, I, I put down some examples because I think 
we, we want to be pragmatic here for our listeners. How do you serve your community? So there are ways that you can do it. Um, you can feed the homeless, clothe the homeless. And depending on your context, if you're in a bigger city, there's there's going to be more of that. If you're in a smaller town, there may not be as much of that. Now, what does that look like? Just for a second, would you recommend most people go through an organization or just pull up on the side of the road and I, you know start going for it? I think you could do both. Yeah. I mean, if there's a homeless person that you pass all the time, I read a story about a guy that there were several homeless people and most people would just walk right by him. Well, this guy decided to talk to every one of them and every day he talked to every one of them. I mean, to the point he talked to them so many times that they called him by name and knew his name, and he knew their stories, each and every one, so that they 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 turned from being a welfare case or some down-and-out case mm-hmm. to an actual person. Wow. So you've got to, obviously, with serving the community, you've got to filter. You've got to use a filter because there are people who are charlatans, and we had some dude who, on the, on the stretch of road where we're at, uh, from Brazil Road to Hopewell Church Road, past there in Concord, there are three major churches, sizable churches. Mm-hmm. And this guy got smart, and he was a he was a schemer, a scam guy. And he sat right at the intersection where he knew all these church people would be coming out every Sunday begging for food. Well, he didn't. He wasn't truly homeless. He was just a scam just artist. Taking advantage I mean, of people. There are people who make. They said they'll make twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year sitting out there begging. That's crazy. So you have to filter through. So uh, if you feed the homeless, you don't give them money. You feed them. Go yeah. buy them a go buy them a, a meal at Wendy's and bring it back to them and say, "Hey, here's something to eat." Uh, if they you say, "What size clothes are you?" and then the next time you see them, you come bring them some shirts mm-hmm. that fit their size. So that's how that can play out. You have to be careful. Um, you can do cleanup projects. So many cities have a lot of areas that are just trashy and they're neglected. And one of the greatest things you can do. Is help out. I remember mm-hmm. when our church, uh, when we were in Greer, um, we did the, um, I guess it was the Keep America Beautiful and the roadsides, you know, the roadside, whatever it is. And we had a stretch of road and we would go out and we would clean that and keep that because all the trash that would come out of the back of pickups or people would throw out. Yeah. And it beautified. And you say, well, that is that really serving? Yeah. I mean, you're helping to keep the area look clean and nice and not trashy. Yeah. And, um, and you're saying to the to other people in your community, we value our area. I think you'd actually, I think people would actually underestimate what it would mean to people and probably even psychologically what it does for people's attitude and spirit. When the world that they live in, the place that they live in is cleaned up and is valued, is taken care of. You take care of things, like you said, that you see as valuable. For the fact that a group of people to go in and go, we haven't exiled you, forgotten about you, or just said, get away from us. Hey, we're here for you. That'll do something to people. Uh, there are parks in big cities, major cities, that just get trashed. And groups, if you can go in and clean that up, paint over the graffiti, clean everything, plant some trees, um, do some things, it, the, the community will appreciate it. Yeah, they will. And and so that's an example. Um, we really recommend coordinating with local agencies. Mm-hmm. We have Anderson Interfaith Ministries, commonly called AIM, as well as others. I won't name them all. And so we've learned that instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, we coordinate with them. And we'll say, what are your needs? What do you need? Whether those are supplies or do you need financial help? Yeah. And so we encourage that. Um, If you get anything that's like an orphanage, a home for children, if you can do anything for them, um, those are 501c3s that are usually needing help. Uh, A lot of times they have to lean on government help, which gives them money, but still— they need somebody to come in and do actual work on their facilities. Yeah. Um, you always got to think about widows, 
singles, um, like single moms and dads, mm-hmm. shut-ins, people who can't get out anymore, they're elderly. Anytime you can do anything for them, uh, that could be as much as something like mowing their yard or or painting their shutters or the house or whatever, mm-hmm. helping out. It's any way you can find. You got to find out though. You got to talk to them, find out, build that relationship, yep. and then meet their need. One of the cool things we've done here, uh, oftentimes elderly people become uh, debilitated and they have steps at their house, but they're in a wheelchair or or they're physically limited and steps now become a, a danger. Yeah. So we have a group of men in our church, a team. I don't I can't even tell you how many times they've done this. It's been a lot. Mm-hmm. They will go to a house and they'll build a ramp that meets codes and build a nice ramp. So now uh for free. And then so when that person now goes into their house, they don't have to try to work through steps negotiate steps, now they can just walk right up a nice ramp. Yeah. And go in there, or if they have a wheelchair, they could go right into their house. Um, if you can visit people in nursing homes, that's a way to serve. A lot of those people have no family and they're very lonely. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's always a great thing to do. Anytime you can provide for the less fortunate, uh, and that just can be from people you know, people in your neighborhood, your next-door neighbor, your child comes home from school and says, one of the kids at school, their house burned down. Well, there's an opportunity to serve. Mm-hmm. Find out what size clothes the, the children of that family have and buy it because everything got lost in the fire. Yeah. I mean, just think what you can do. Um, help your elderly neighbors. Just if you've got a neighbor in the neighborhood, somebody in the neighborhood, my mom and dad um, live in, in a, an apartment complex and mom and dad are 76 and uh, I get tickled because they'll tell me about people around them in the neighbor, in the apartment. They kind of look out over them. Oh, they'll they'll awesome. just take care of them and yeah. ask you, know, you okay? Little and things, they yeah. need help. And they had trouble with the car one day. I mean, I, I try to take care of all the stuff I can, but every once in a while before I, they even have to call me, mom might be out there looking. And a guy will come over and say, what's wrong? Let me fix you. He'll fix the car yeah. for free and just take care of you. And so anytime you can do that, um, I, I think it helps. Um, it's been said that Christianity is a one another religion, one another. That's good. And that, that means that we look after one another. We help one another. Mm-hmm. We meet the needs of one another. Uh, in Philippians 2, 4, Paul said we're to look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interest of others. That's good. And so that's that's part of who we are. And Evan, any everyone can serve. It doesn't matter how old you are, young you are. It doesn't matter if you have money or you don't. Everybody can serve. And I think the thing is you need to realize that you have something to contribute. It could be time. It could be listening. It could be, like I said, going to a nursing home or helping somebody. Um, you, you just have to realize that you can make a difference and you should make a difference. Mm-hmm. My heart has been touched. I'm thinking of a woman right now who, who really is needy. Really, she's needy. And yet she helps other needy people. Wow. It, it just, I'm floored by it. Every time I hear another story about this woman in our church who really needs help herself, but yet if she sees a need, she she opens her home or she does things because she has a heart to help other people. So I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, your motive is important. Um, it should be out of love and concern for people. Yeah. And it shouldn't be showy. Here's one thing that yeah. irks me is you don't have to put it on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook or anything else that you help, you know, how you help people. In fact, I'd suggest that Jesus said to do otherwise. He said to, you know, you just do your thing, help people. 
Your heavenly Father sees you. Yes. You don't need credit. You for don't this. need to get credit. That should be something you just between <clears throat> you and the Lord and that person, and you help them out. Um, you don't want to do it because um, you feel guilty. Well, I'm not mm-hmm. helping enough people, so I better go help this person. You'll get an opportunity. I better do it because I feel guilty. I don't ever do anything for anybody. Um, if you have this void in yourself, or if you just want to make yourself feel better, now you will feel better. Yeah, you will. when you help somebody, you will always feel better. But that's not why you do it. Yeah. You should be humble. Okay, you shouldn't go in with this superior. I'm superior. You're inferior, and I'm here to help you. I'm I'm your godsend. That, that's just go away. Yeah. You should come in very humble and say, you know, I I just love you, and I you're in a tough spot, and I'm just here to help you and serve you and. I'm just here. I'm just glad I can help because you know what? You might be blessed right now, but don't get cocky because yep. the bottom could fall out in your life. I've seen people who had it all lose everything. Mm. So you may reach the point one day where you you need somebody to help you. That's and good. I think uh, the last thing that I would say with this is it, when it comes to service, there's a simple motto. And this is in your community. You just have to open your eyes and look. Sometimes we drive right by needs and don't even see them. Yeah. So maybe you need to pray, God, open my eyes to help me to see the needs in my community and then go meet them. But the motto is, see a need and meet it. That's good. That's it. Just see the need and then go meet it. And that's how you can serve and make a difference. Can I say three kind of random things? You yeah. just said so much good stuff. My mind's just going. Yeah, it's absolutely. Going. I would say, one, you said something when speaking about the homeless person, too. Don't talk about any of this as an issue. Remember, you're talking about people. You know what I mean? Yes. So when you're thinking, don't. Don't alleviate the poverty issue. Help help poor people. You know, don't eliminate the homeless issue. Help homeless people. Don't eliminate the drug issue. Help people who are addicted to drugs. When you make them people, man, that just does something different in your mind. Yes. And now you're not just solving a problem or or fixing something like you fix a machine. Like you're going in there because you care about people. Make it about people. Mm-hmm. Two, um, when you're talking about the woman who just helps people all the time and she doesn't have anything, um, I know you're not on Facebook. I saw two Facebook posts from people this month who have essentially talked about um, in their moments of need, they stayed faithful to God. They stayed faithful to God financially in their giving, and they had random checks show up. One person was reflecting on her her earlier life, how all the time God would continually provide. And one person was reflecting about something that happened to them a few days ago. They said, I gave, and I know this isn't directly serving, but it's about faith. I gave, we gave our last money for ties. We didn't have it. We didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. And a check showed up for every single thing that we needed. Wow. This was a church member a few days ago. Wow. Trusting God. Yep. And so maybe... Maybe you want to help people. Maybe you want to give to people, but you're worried how it's going to happen. God will make a way. Like you are doing that to serve his people. Walk in faith. I know it's scary. I know, you know, you can't see it, but he's going to do it. And um, and third, I would say this. Um, remember your Christian brothers and sisters. We want to help our community, but you are in a body of Christ that extends throughout the whole world. And living in America, we feel so sheltered, but there are people who are persecuted for their faith. There are Christians, um, you know, especially in Egypt and um, radical Islam-dominated countries that they have to worry about getting their church blown up, about dying, going to church today. There are people in China who have to um, hide when they meet, and there are organizations dedicated to giving, to taking care of Christians in poor countries and persecuted countries. And so I just want to beg you, take 
take care of your body and take care of your community. But we're all in the body of Christ. You know, put a Band-Aid on your arm, take care of your leg, take care of the people that are in your body um, that are being persecuted when, praise God, we're in a time in history in America where we don't have to. And then help your community, help people. Remember Christ's body. Get involved. That's it. But thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that um, this episode has taught you. I hope it's encouraged you. And hey, I hope it's challenged you. So I just want to encourage you, go get involved today. Go help somebody today. Ask the Lord to open your eyes uh, on how you can meet a need and, and walk in faith. Um, and, and he's going to help you to do it. As always, go ahead and uh, give us a like um, go ahead and rate us, especially through Apple Podcasts that will give us more exposure and share this podcast with a friend. We'll see you next week.